This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge sites, over a billion people visit it every day. But what's it like actually working there? I talked with JT Trollman, a product designer, to find out. Man, I think there's so many interesting things about working at Facebook. I think I mean, there are endless interesting problems to solve when you're trying to create tools and experiences to genuinely help people in their lives. I mean, whether it's like connecting people together to foster greater understanding between them or help people collaborate to share to share experiences around common interests and groups or like getting people to meet together face to face in real life events or even, you know, helping people solve social disputes between friends. I mean, people themselves are endlessly interesting. So we touch on so many facets of people's lives that there's never uh, a lack of things to, to, to focus on. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. No other email service provider is better when it comes to functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it easy for you to find that domain name that you're looking for and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code REVISIONPATH and save 10% off your purchase. Have you heard about Revolve Conference? The conference takes place October 26th through 28th in Charleston, South Carolina, and it's the place to be for talks on experience design, business, marketing, and how they're all related. We're working with Revolve this year to offer Revision Path listeners a chance to win three free tickets to attend. Each ticket includes full access to all sessions and activities throughout the conference, including breakfast and lunch. For more information on how you can win free tickets to Revolve Conference, join our Slack community. There's a link in the show notes. We've got two new reviews here from iTunes. The first one here is from WA Spaceman. It's titled, Find Out What It's Like to Be a Designer. And it reads, For anyone who wants to know more about the careers of designers, this podcast will give you that and more. Thank you so much for that review. That's great. Another great five-star review. We also have one here from The Story Coach, and this is titled, Smart Informative Space for Black Creatives. A specific podcast featuring specific creatives offering universal themes such as the creative process, angst, inclusion, exclusion, success, failure, as well as hard work and lucky breaks. Maurice's questions are pointed and minimal and allow interviewees to speak freely and openly about themselves and their work. Wow, thank you both, The Story Coach and WA Spaceman. Thank you both again for those great, great five-star reviews. I really love reading those from iTunes. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So now we're up to 39 patrons for a new record high of $267 per month. Again, a big thanks for all of you that have pledged your support and appreciation for the show. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you like the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any value from listening to the interviews or reading our blog, please consider becoming a patron. 
You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes and free revision path goodies. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and it's a great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's get on to this week's interview. So HBCU Month continues here with a conversation with designer and brand strategist Nikita M. Pope, Chief Chick of Branding Chicks. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Nikita Pope, and I am Chief Chick and Brand Strategist at Branding Chicks. My business specializes in branding and marketing um, strategy for women-owned businesses and brands that are targeted at women. Tell me where the idea came from to start Branding Chicks and why you decided that you wanted the focus specifically to be on women and women-owned businesses. Well, I've always been passionate about um, women's issues, but interestingly enough, it it happened a little bit organically. Um, I've always had um, freelance clients and run a freelance business on the side, even when I had full-time jobs. And when I decided to branch out on my own, I, you know, really took a poll of all of the people that had worked with me to see why they worked with me, why they continued to come back and why they enjoyed working with me. And one thing I learned from that is, A, most of my clients were women and B, that the reason why they enjoyed working with me was sort of my inherent way of being. And, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. So, you know, being able to give someone information so that not only can I, can I, strategize for them and their businesses, but that they can think from the same place that I'm thinking from is, you know, just comes naturally to me. And that was part of what people responded to. So I realized that my, my target market was kind of already there and they were already responding to what I was doing and how I was being without trying. So to me, that sounds like the perfect storm for what you need to pursue if that's what you're going to do. Now, I looked at the Branding Chicks website. Great website, by the way. Thank you. And and part of the way down, there's this video where you kind of talk about your your aha moment. Yes. And and in that video, you sort of mentioned that you had a business before. So Branding Chicks is kind of your second business. The first business was Neo Indigo. Yes. Yes. What what kind of fueled that evolution? Um, there are a couple of things. Really, um, just a meandering path of experiences more than anything else. I started as a designer and I still do design, of course, but I came from a fine art background and then transitioned into graphic design. And so my first business was really about design and um, custom artwork for people. And between Neo Indigo and Branding Chicks, I morphed kind of into more of the strategy space and design strictly for branding. I mean, I've always been a big fan of uh, research and sort of the strategy behind design and the concepting part of it. And so once I was able to, you know, kind of move into a place in my career where I was doing that every day, it was something I really enjoyed. And so when Branding Chicks came around, it was sort of the culmination of all of those things put together. What's next for Branding Chicks? Where do you see it going in the future? Some of it I know, some of it I don't know. (laughs) At this point, I think that we are focused on really trying to capture more of the market. We work with a variety of businesses, although our niche is um, women-owned businesses and brands for women. So I still want to keep that, of course, but I want to kind of branch out into 
different type of industries and um, different size businesses and that kind of thing. So that's part of it. For me personally, I am working on a book right now that should be out early next year about branding. So that is kind of the next, the the low hanging fruit for both Nikita and for Branding Chicks. Nice, a book. That's a good thing. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, that's really where they start to kind of level up mm-hmm. in terms of their business and opportunities when they have a book or they have something like that that they can really sort of pass on to people. Yeah, I really I think it, it can broaden my audience. And I really think that the information that I want to share with entrepreneurs is really valuable. And I'd love to be able to share it in a bigger way. Well, yeah, when you have the book ready, let me know. We'll, we'll certainly plug it here on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> So Atlanta has always kind of been known as this this sort of haven for black entrepreneurs. Has that kind of been the case for you? Do you find that Atlanta is a good market for what you do? Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the, I tell people all the time that when I first went downtown to get my business license, it was a pleasant surprise, but literally 80% of the people there waiting to get their business licenses were African-American. And I think that that is not very different than what I experienced. Every day, you know, I think that Atlanta is a city that promotes entrepreneurship. It has a lot of support for entrepreneurship, and there's lots of communities for entrepreneurs, whether they're African American or not. Um, so I think that having those communities that you can kind of integrate yourself into, especially when you're just starting out, is really, really important. And finding people that you can connect with that understand your challenges and that they understand what you're going through, all of that is is also really important. And in terms of branding, because of the fact that it's an entrepreneurial city, then all of those people are looking to brand themselves. They're looking to brand their products and their services. And sometimes they don't know where to start. So it's a, it's a perfect place for me. And you know, even outside of that, honestly, probably about 75% of my clients are not in the city of Atlanta that a lot of them are, are out of state, but that's the beauty of the, you know, the world that we're in right now where everyone can be really connected without being in the same place. So it allows me to work with people all over, which I really enjoy. Okay. So what is a typical day like for you? A typical day is pretty varied. Some days I have a big client here in town that I do a lot of strategy work with. So often I'm either on site with them or I'm working with some of my um, smaller clients uh, doing strategy sessions or actually working on the branding itself. I also teach at the Creative Circus, so probably two to three days a week I'm there as well, teaching advertising and graphic design. So it really is quite varied, which I love that, you know, that kind of variety is part of the reason why I started my own business, because that way I could pursue all of the things that I love at the same time. So it's kind of allowed me to do that. Let's talk about the Creative Circus because we first met, I mean, through AIGA, of course, but Mm -hmm. then also we actually met, you know, I think it was back in May or so when uh, there was a a speaker, Douglas Davis, who's also been on the show. He spoke there. How did you first get started teaching there? I've been there about eight or nine years now. I started because, you know, it's, it's really a testament to your network and being able to kind of keep people in your corner who are... Um, who know you and and furthering those relationships. I had an instructor at Portfolio Center while I was there named Berwin Hung, and he was at that time the assistant department head at 
the creative circus. And I always kept in contact with him and kind of let him know what I was doing and what I was working on. And I told him that I was interested in teaching. And so we had an interview and looked at my portfolio and everything. And eventually I was able to get in and start teaching, you know, a class here and there because at the time I was working full time. So I taught maybe one to two classes a quarter. Um, but when I went out on my own, it allowed me to have more time and opportunity to teach more classes. So it's been it's been a wonderful ride. I really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> my students keep me inspired. They keep me going. So it's it's one of the things I enjoy most. What would you say your students have taught you? Oh, man, so many things. And I tell them that all the time. One thing I would say is, I don't know if it's necessarily that they taught me, but they remind me often that, you know, that passion is really the driver. That if you really care about something, then you can, you you do your best work when you're in that space. You're willing to work longer on it. You're really, you're willing to go deeper with it and you come out with better results. And sometimes when you're working for clients and you get kind of caught up in the rigmarole of everything, it's easy to forget that. But, you know, with them, I see that every day. I see that they're really excited about a project and I see them, you know, go above and beyond to get it done and to get it done well. They also, you know, teach me a lot about what is, you know, what's hot right now in terms of technology and things like that. And I try to keep an eye open and be aware of all of those things as well. But, you know, let's face it, you know, they they get to it faster than we do. (laughs) So that that's another big part of it. But and I love their spirit of collaboration as well as creatives. Sometimes we fall into the trap of working kind of in our own little hole and trying to do it all ourselves. And, it, and we really encourage sort of that collaboration at the school. So I see that often, you know, there's it's nothing for one of the interactive students to be working directly with one of the photographers or for me to have a classroom full of copywriters, art directors and designers working on projects together. So that sort of we encourage that in terms of the structure, but they take it and run with it as well. So they still do it outside of class, which I think is great. Now, I've had design educators on the show before. I've had Silas Monroe. I've had uh, Tamika D. Williams, among others. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think they've all sort of had in common, um, or at least they've all expressed have, you know, in common, is sort of the lack of of black people teaching design. Yes. or, Or black people kind of in that design education space. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree. I think that there is um, the numbers are pretty small in terms of at least based on my experience, based on my personal experience being in design school and now teaching for, you know, for a while. It is something that I think needs more exposure. At this point, I think that part of it is just that, you know, that the professionals are out there like we're out there. We're doing the work. If there's no there's no lack of that. I think that more than anything, it's just a matter of getting some of those people in the classroom and not everybody, you know, wants to teach. Not everybody is necessarily meant to teach. But I do think that, you know, if we can sort of take a look, some people I know are thinking about teaching after they're done with the, you know, the height of their career. And I think that that needs some reconsideration because what they want to see is someone who's doing it right now. They want to hear from someone who's doing it right now. I mean, that's any student, but you know, that, that lets them know that, okay, you know what you're talking about. You just had this conversation with your client yesterday. 
versus and things move so quickly in our industry that if you wait until you're at the end of your pinnacle and you're not really necessarily working on those things day to day, then your information may no longer be current. It may no longer be valid. So I think, you know, reconsidering the fact that you don't need to be past that point in order to be able to teach is really important. I agree with that. I know back, God, years ago when I was teaching, I taught at DeVry. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they really kind of stressed for their adjuncts when they were teaching was that, you know, they wanted to have people that were actually out there in the field that were doing the work. Yes. Because, you know, things change so quickly. It was kind of a, a stark contrast because their curriculum was so behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I guess they wanted someone that could, I guess, bridge that gap yeah. in uh, in some sort of way. But but no, I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, things change so quickly mm-hmm. and you don't want necessarily someone that's, I don't want to say a professional academic, but you want someone that's also out there learning, you know, just like the students are learning. Right, exactly. That can kind of teach you, well, these are the kind of the pitfalls that you need to look out for and stuff like that, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We have a series on our blog called Student Perspectives where we talk to, you know, black design students Mm -hmm. at all different types of colleges, at HBCUs, at design colleges, et cetera. And the reason that we did that, and this sort of ties into what we're talking about now, is we wanted to really get their perspective on what it was like or what it is like, I should say, being a student right now at this kind of critical stage where they're coming into being the next generation of designers. And a lot of them have kind of expressed, I don't know if I can say worry, but they've kind of expressed this, this kind of worry that they're not learning about other black designers that are out there in the field, or they're not learning about kind of what their contemporaries are, are doing Mm -hmm. that look like them. Is that something that's kind of important to you as you teach? Yes, it is important to me. And I think, you know, just like anything else, you have influence over people, whether you realize you do or not often. So, you know, one of the things that I've been, I've become aware of in my time teaching is just how important it is for me to even be there. Like just for them to see me there and know that I am one of the instructors there makes a difference, whether I end up teaching that student or not it makes a difference. And it is important to me to expose them to as many different types of people and ways of thinking and, you know, career paths as possible. Because sometimes, unfortunately, because of the structure that, you know, has to go along with education in general, no matter what school you're in, is that there's no way you can cover everything. And there has to be some structure to it You know, so sometimes you're teaching them about the rules and you're teaching them also how to break the rules, but you can't teach them every single way that someone has broken the rules and made it work Mm -hmm. for themselves. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I try to bring to the forefront front forefront, too, is this person might have started out in this place, but this is where they ended up. And this is how they created that path for themselves. And it might have seemed like a really, you know, meandering kind of crazy path to get there. But Mm -hmm. now they found themselves in a place where they can say that they're the only person that can do that in this way because of what they've done. And so I think that all of that is really important, just giving them the exposure and encouraging them to do their own research as well. Because, you know, the ones who are really hungry for it, they'll go find it themselves. And so I try to nurture that as much as possible, too, because I don't know every person that's out there. I can give away what I know, but I can't I can't give you everything. So Mm -hmm. if what what I'd rather do is encourage that 
um, that desire to go search for yourself because you'll find much more that way. And it'll probably mean much more to you. So I encourage that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the students out there that really want it, they'll look for it. And, you know, as you said, it's important for you just to even be there physically, just to be that presence that they see, right. to know that, you know, this is something that they can aspire to if they want to. Right, exactly. Exactly. So speaking about paths, of course, this is HBCU month. Mm -hmm. You graduated from an HBCU. Can you tell us which one? Yes, Hampton University. Go Pirates! So, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your time there. What was it like? Um, I loved Hampton. I really did. It's interesting because I, um, you know, some people kind of found design later. I was always involved in art and I knew that I found out what graphic design was my senior year in high school. So I knew that I wanted to major in design. And for me, it was really a matter of you know, where am I going to go based on their design programs? So for me, it was down to SCAD and Hampton University. And I decided at some point during my college search that I wanted to go to an HBCU. And I believe that, you know, Hampton had the design program that really spoke to me. So that's where I ended up. But I loved it there. I had some really awesome instructors, some of which I'm still, you know, in contact with. It was a fine art based program at the time. So it there, you know, there was a lot of, you know, sort of that foundational stuff that you get, which is really great because now, you know, we're in a time in the world where you don't have to be an artist to be a designer. Like you don't have to be a traditional artist to be a designer. You don't have to be right. able to draw or any of those things and you still be a really great designer. But because that was my background, I think that was the best place for me because it was a perfect opportunity for me to transition from one into the other and to bring some of those fine art sensibilities with me and understand that I didn't have to leave them behind just because I was, you know, transferring the way that I expressed myself to the computer. So the choice between Hampton and SCAD, I mean, that's an HBCU versus a very traditional, you know, design school. Mm -hmm. Aside from, I guess, just the curriculum, what made you want to go to Hampton? It was the culture. I had spoken to lots of alumni and just about their experience there and, and that kind of thing. And I'd never really been to the Virginia area. And I didn't want to, honestly, I really wanted to branch out and explore. So SCAD was a lot closer to home. I'm originally from Florida, was a lot closer okay. to home. And I just wanted the full college experience and all of the, the history that an HBCU provides and sort of that kind of support. Even the fact that I had so many conversations with alums before I got there or before I decided to, to go there for sure was indicative of the kind of support that I would get once I got there. They were so open and so welcoming and willing to help me in any way possible, sight unseen. You know, they didn't know me. They just knew that I was thinking about being a pirate too. And that was enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're trying to make a big decision in your life, that's really powerful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One thing that I tell people about HBCUs that I don't know if they necessarily understand it until they, I guess, attend one, mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah. It's just how much of a, a nurturing kind of family aspect yeah. the school has. They don't necessarily see you as just another number. Right. Or just another student. They want you to succeed because they realize you know, what it's like in the outside world. So it can be a lot different from, say, going to a design school or even a, you know, predominantly white institution where they may not have that same type of a, 
of a nurturing culture. It's it's more about the school and less about the student. Whereas with HBCUs, it kind of seems, and some HBCU alum will probably disagree with me on that. <laughs> but but really, they HBCUs do kind of end up having this really familial, comforting, you know, kind of experience. I mean, I went to Morehouse, and don't get me wrong, my first year at Morehouse was rough. <laughs> but by the time I left, you know, it was sort of like. I don't know if it's still, I mean, I, I don't even live that far from the campus now, but like, okay. it still feels like home when I go there. Like yes. it still feels like this very familiar place. There are still professors I see there who recognize me and things right. like that. So it's, it's a totally, it, it's a feeling that's a bit intangible in mm-hmm. a way, you know? Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I, I mean, that was my experience as well. So I totally get what you're saying. And, and it is, it's an intangible thing. Like you don't, really get it until you get there. Yeah. And I I think that I got, you know, like I said, I got a taste of it from the alums and the people that I had spoken to, but it still wasn't the same until I got there. But it really was, you know, I, it's exactly where I needed to be, I think. Now, from Hampton, you went to the Portfolio Center here in Atlanta. Yeah. What was that like? I mean, I feel like that might have been a night and day kind of experience. <laughs> It was in a lot of ways. It was boot camp is what I tell people. (laughs) Okay. You know, it's a very rigorous program similar to the circus. You know, portfolio schools are built to bring you from, you know, zero to 60 in two years. Like you've, you know, you can start from not having any real background or knowledge in whatever, you know, curriculum that you choose and being able to be, you know, kind of a rock star and get the job you really, really want right out of school. Um, So in order for that to happen, it has to be a rigorous program. So it was a lot of long nights, a lot of not sleeping. (laughs) It was a lot of that. But I think what I appreciated most about my time there was being able to be pushed in terms of how I think and how I concept and, you know, execution is really important. You know, the technical stuff, are you a a sound designer aesthetically is important, but how you think is what makes you different than everyone else. And I tell my students that now too, is that, you know, between your work ethic and the way that you think that is what's going to catapult your career. It's not just whether you can lay out something that looks really good, but you know, did you do the research? Do you have a strong concept? Is it a concept that can go on and be reiterated in different ways and applied to different media and it still work? And I think that, you know, being a portfolio center really pushed me in that way. And I love that experience because, you know, in that process, I think that's when I realized that that was my favorite part of design. And now from there, I know you didn't necessarily go right into doing you know, Neo Indigo or Branding Chicks, but kind of tell me about what your your early career was like before you decided to strike out on your own. I worked at the Atlanta Regional Commission, which is sort of a governmental agency here that spans all of Metro Atlanta. I worked at Creative Loafing for a while as an advertising designer. And when I was at ARC, that was my first, like, dive in deep sort of design job. And it wasn't necessarily sexy in terms of like design jobs go. But Mm -hmm. I really value that experience because as an in-house designer that serviced, you know, an agency of 150 people and, you know, probably 50 or 60 programs among them, it gave me a lot of opportunity to sort of do, put my hand in everything. So I did everything from video to web to um, collateral and they all had to have, you know, different voices. There was branding involved there. 
So just for the mere fact that there was only two of us and there was so much work to do, I got to do a little bit of everything. So that experience was invaluable, even though it might not have been, you know, super sexy to someone on the outside. So I did that there. At that point, I did branch out on my own. I already had Neo Indigo while I was in at ARC, but I branched out on my own with Neo Indigo kind of as a freelancer for a while, probably about a year and a half, two years. And then I started working as a creative director at a small business here in Atlanta that sells all types of office and school supplies. But I that was a valuable experience, although it was still in-house as well, because mm-hmm. they needed a complete rebrand. And so I was able to drive that whole process. I rebranded the company. We re, I redesigned all of their packaging. They had probably 150 products at the time. And several brands under that umbrella that all got rebranded, new website, everything. So that was still another valuable experience. So, you know, I I think that, you know, what I learned most from that is that what it looks like on paper may not always be the thing that you need to hang your hat on. Sometimes the best experience you can get is from something that doesn't necessarily look like it'll be that in the beginning. And all of those experiences were extremely valuable And I always had clients on the side, which provided me some of that ability to stretch my legs and work with different types of people and work, you know, on different types of brands and products. So just kind of having all of those things going on at the same time still allowed me to have a pretty well-rounded portfolio, even though I worked in-house for several years. Now, with your business, a lot of what you deal with is uh, strategy, brand strategy. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about why strategy is important when it comes to design, because I think that for a lot of people that just start getting into design, strategy might be the last thing that they're thinking about. It's more about just execution. Right. Can you talk about that? Yes. So strategy is sort of your foundation. It's the framework for, let's say you're building a house, it's the framework for your house, right? So design itself if, you know, just bare basic, you know, strictly aesthetics is really just what kind of tile are you going to put in the house? What kind of roof are you going to put in the house? What is the landscaping going to look like? But none of those things will look the same if the structure of the house is doesn't work or if it's, if it's different. So because, you know, design technically is designed for, it's art for an objective, to achieve an objective versus art just for art's sake. So that strategy is what makes the difference between art for art's sake and art for an objective. So if the objective is for me to sell this product or if the objective is to create some sort of visibility for a brand, then I have to know what my objective is. I have to know who it is that I'm speaking to. I have to know what kind of voice this brand is going to have. Otherwise, I'm going in blind. Like I'm designing what I think will look good, but there's no guarantee that it'll land with who I need it to land with if I don't have that structure underneath it. So Mm -hmm. strategy is extremely important just simply because of that. And often now, because it's such a part of my life and I know how important it is, it's almost hard for me to design something without it. Like if I, you know, I speak to a client and they really can't give me much information about where they want to go and who their audience is and that kind of stuff, then I have to back up. Like they can't come to me and say, you know, I'm ready to start branding my business. If they haven't answered all these questions, 
then there's no way that I can do anything because what's going to happen is that you'll have something that you like, that it looks good to you, but your audience may not respond to it at all. And then your whole product, your whole business, your whole services, range of services, the whole thing falls flat. So that it's that structure is extremely important. And I think for some designers, because we come from the creative space, they sort of see it as limitations. And I don't think that that's the case. You know, I the way I, I present it to my students is that it's a very big fence. It's a very big fence. You can do whatever you want to do inside the fence around that playground. Inside is your playground. You can do mm-hmm. as many cartwheels as you want. You, you can do somersaults. You can build a sandcastle. You can do whatever you want in your playground, but you still need some boundaries. And they might be big boundaries, but you still need them. And, and, and actually promo- it actually propels your creative energy because now you know how now that I have my parameters, how can I make it as creative as it can possibly be inside of that space versus, you know, just kind of going blind and you don't know what you might come up with or if it'll actually achieve the objective. Right. It sort of lets you design within those particular, you know, kind of parameters. Right. For for any designers that are, are listening that want to get started with learning more about strategy and how they can apply it, what resources would you recommend? Oh, that's a good question. There's a couple of things. One is a book by Debbie Millman, who is principal at Sterling Brands. She's really awesome. Her book, uh, Brand Thinking, is, I think, really powerful. It gives you a, an overview of what it means to, to brand and why we need it, like why we should actually do it. So that's one. It's one of my favorites. Another one is Archetypes in Branding, which is a really fantastically designed book, as well as having fantastic comment, uh, content. And it's a toolkit for creatives and strategists. I mean, that one's by um, Hartwell and Chin. And it gives you sort of a profile of 60 different archetypes that you can apply. I use it in, a, in numerous ways. I apply it to my clients. So if it's a brand that I'm building, I try to figure out which archetypes fit that brand. But I also find out which archetypes apply to their primary and secondary target markets as well. It gives you more insight about how those people think, what's important to them, what their concerns are. And it just makes you much smarter from a strategy and a creative standpoint. Let's see. One more I really have been liking recently, I just started reading it, is uh, Brand Aid by Brad Van Aken, Aken, sorry. But that one seems to be pretty good so far as well. And, and you spoke with Doug Davis as well about his book, which has been really great as well. So it, things change really quickly, like we said before. And I think being able to kind of you know, taking as much of that information as possible is really fantastic. It doesn't mean that, you know, how you go about brand strategy is going to be exactly the way that other people do, but sort of gathering those resources and see how other people think about it will just make you more well-rounded. And it gives you an opportunity to provide resources to the people that you're working with so that they know that you are on the cutting edge, that you're you know, taking time to see what's current and that you're not, you know, you don't have one way of doing things and that you're stuck in that, but that you're always looking for some other way to kind of, you know, turn it on its head and see how you can look at it differently. Absolutely. And those are some really great resources. I'll make sure to put links to those in the show notes so people can check those out. Awesome. 
Now, you do a lot with design here in Atlanta. Of course, you've got your business. Mm -hmm. You're also an AIGA Atlanta board member. Mm -hmm. How would you kind of describe the design community here? What would you say? How would you how would you categorize it? I love our design community. I think that we are diverse. We are passionate. We are diverse in so many ways, diverse in our backgrounds, diverse in our way of thinking, you know, and typical diversity as well in terms of gender and race and age. And there's just so much to be learned here. I love the fact that, you know, so many, we have so many design schools here in Atlanta and the amount of students that are being produced here is really fantastic. You know, between SCAD and Portfolio Center, Creative Circus, Georgia State, Art Institute, there's, you know, just so many creatives being put out of the city of Atlanta every day. So that's one thing. And then, you know, we have some of our, you know, more seasoned rock stars that are here. And I love that they're still involved, which means that you can learn from them. You can work alongside them. And it's a really collaborative city in my experience, too. Some of the people that I've met and sort of built my business alongside them has been really great because we find projects to work on together. We encourage each other. It's very accepting. And I just I really appreciate that kind of support because, you know, similar to anything else, you have different communities around you and some communities are going to get part of your life more than others. So mm-hmm. those designers around me, they understand what, you know, what I'm going through and trying to build my studio. They understand, you know, what my point of view might be. And we speak the same language and that part is really awesome. And there's a lot of other creatives here too, not just designers. You know, when I go to creative mornings, it makes me so happy to see so many of us there. And that's another diverse crowd, but still creative jewelry designers and filmmakers and architects, you know, they're all there when they all want to be inspired. They're passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, that keeps me going as well. One day I'm going to make it to creative mornings. That's just too early for me. It's so it's like eight great. o'clock, right? I'm going to make it one day. One day I'm going to make it because I hear so many great things about it, but I'm just like eight o'clock. I am just turning over. I'm going to try. I really, I'm, I'm going to try to make it one day. Well, you know what? That's what lets me know how awesome it is because of the fact that you can get 500 creatives to get up out of their bed and be somewhere and ready to talk to people at 830. Like that tells you something. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to make it one day. I mean, I call my business lunch for a reason because that's usually about the time I kind of get started, but one day I will make it. I promise you I'm, I'm making that promise on the show. I'm going to make that happen. I'll look for you. <laughs> so you said you first, you know, kind of learned about graphic design when you were in high school mm-hmm. Did you kind of always have this creative spark? Like, is it something that your family really kind of helped you cultivate leading up to this point? Yes, it was always a love of mine. One of my favorite things that my mother has held on to is I was probably like seven or eight and I had to do an I Have a Dream speech at church. (laughs) and she recorded it and it was supposed to be what our dreams are like I have a dream that and then you know you're supposed to kind of fill in the blank for yourself and so she has this tape of little Nikita saying I have a dream to draw and paint the wonderful creations of God it's so dramatic (laughs) it's so dramatic (laughs) 
but that hasn't changed. <laughs> it hasn't changed. It's always been something I've been really excited about. I think early on, I realized the the fact that having that talent was, there was nothing there. And now I get to create something. And now this whole thing exists. So just the idea of creating anything was really interesting to me. I had a cousin who, you know, was uh, pretty good at drawing and he used to sit down with me and we would draw together. Neither one of my parents are very, you know, artistically creative in that way, but they knew that it was something that I love. So they continued to give me resources to make sure I could, you know, nourish that. And they encouraged me to keep going. And I'm really thankful for that because even, you know, getting ready to choose a major, they encouraged me to do that, even though they didn't really know, you know, all about what graphic design was or how it was different than deciding to major in painting and being a starving artist, which is what most people think. And they encouraged me anyway, which I think is really fantastic because I get so many students now who are, most of them have undergraduate degrees, but they are now, some of them just discovering the creative side of things or feeling like they have the freedom to explore it when they may not have had that before. So I'm really thankful for the fact that I had that support to pursue it and that, you know, it's still something that I love so much. Who have been some of the people that have kind of helped you out along the way? You had any mentors or, or anybody like that? Yes. I tell people all the time that I collect mentors. I feel like there's so much to be learned and so many people I can learn from. So sometimes they're my peers. Sometimes they're, you know, people that I've worked with. There's uh, one guy named Clive Rue. He was working with me at one point and he's continued to be a mentor. We no longer work together, but he's continued to be a mentor. And, you know, we check in every now and then. I have people who are like Lenny Morris, you know her as well. She and I have built our studios together. We kind of started out at the same time. And so she's a peer mentor. You know, we call each other when we've got a situation that we don't know how to handle or if we're feeling discouraged or if we want to collaborate on something together. That happens often. And I had some really great teachers along the way as well. Art teacher was one of the first people to really tell me, hey, listen, you should really think about doing this as a profession. Like, you you know, this is something that you really like and you should you should go for it. You should really go for it. And then in college, I had a couple of professors that were really instrumental for me. One named Michelle Perkins, she's now in Chicago and she teaches there as well. And Sylvia, who teaches at Creative Circus now, but she was at Portfolio Center when I was there. And so, you know, even in that space, learning from someone that now you teach alongside is really a wonderful experience because I learned from her in the design space and now I get to learn from her in the teaching space as well. So along with, I mean, everything that you're doing with teaching, you're doing the volunteering through AIGA. Um, I know you're also a board member on Good Thinking Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Good Thinking Atlanta, for those that are listening, it's a, it's a volunteer organization of like designers and advertisers and marketers that help nonprofits, essentially. Mm-hmm. Where does that spirit of giving back to the community come from? The short answer is because so many people have given to me. I know that, that I wouldn't be where I am today if there weren't people who gave me a hand up or, you know, gave me an opportunity or saw that I had potential and wanted to nurture that. And I just think that, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And I love being able to give away something that only I feel like only I can give. 
So that my creativity, the, you know, the artistic side of me and what I've been able to parlay into a business is a God-given gift to me. You know, I've done a lot of things to nurture it, but it's a God-given gift. So I want to give that away to other people. I want to encourage other people. I like to see them succeed. So however I can do that, you know, really is it's a responsibility for me, but I also really enjoy it. It keeps me going. It it keeps me passionate about what I'm doing because the more I can do, the more I can give away, the more I can, you know, teach someone else or help nurture someone else. So it's all part of the cycle for me. Just paying it forward. Yeah, absolutely. What advice has kind of stuck with you the longest? It can be professional advice, life advice, anything like that. There's a couple of things that I try to remember literally on a day-to-day basis is one to sometimes just stop and take stock of what you've been able to accomplish. For a lot of us, we have so many things that we want to do, so many goals that we want to achieve, and we're steadily working towards them. And you may not always be where you want to be at the time, at the moment, but Some of us just don't take the time to stop and say, okay, I'm not where I want to be, but look at all that I've done. Like, look at all the things I've been able to do. And I think, you know, that is one of the things that I personally have to remind myself of because, you know, I do have so many things that I'm looking ahead and all the things I want to do and just kind of appreciating where I am and whatever obstacles and hurdles I've overcome, whatever things that I've, I've taken stock of and using that as fuel to move forward. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is just to like, from a creative standpoint is remembering why I love this work. That (laughs) seven-year-old that wanted to paint and draw the wonderful creations of God. I try to remember like where she was and the fact that creativity was playtime. Like it was you know, this is so exciting. I can make something, I can tear something up and I can make something else like that. Just bringing that spirit back into it. Cause once you get bogged down in the fact that you're doing it for a client or that, you know, you've got to put food on the table or, you know, you've got to keep your schedule and all of that. It's easy for that stuff to get lost. So I try to remember that it was playtime for me and it still should be, you know, I've chosen this path because I really enjoy it and I love it. And there's so many people out there who have jobs or careers that they hate, but they're doing them for other reasons. So I feel like it's a blessing to do something I love and just kind of keeping that at the forefront makes me a better designer, but it also makes me have more fun. Amen for that. Yeah. What would be your dream project? Of course it would be a branding project. (laughs) and uh, you know and a full branding relationship like from beginning to end which is what I enjoy the most is sort of building that relationship with the client there are several brands that I would love to work with I'd love to work with Spanx there's a cosmetic company out of New York called Colored Rain that's just kind of on the upswing and I love their products I would love to brand them you know I'm always looking for who my next dream client is and how I can, you know, talk to them and figure out how to get in there. (laughs) And often it's not because I feel like they're missing something, but because they're strong in some really, really great way. And I want to be able to enhance that. So I'm always on the lookout for that. Where do you see yourself in the next, let's say five years? What do you think you'll be working on? Well, hopefully I'll be working on another book. (laughs) If it doesn't go well, I'll be working on another book. 
I would like to still be teaching and I would like to see branding chicks really taking on some of those clients that I see as dream clients right now, continuing to work with people that I enjoy working with, that I sometimes end up considering friends. You know, I want that to be the case because I love what I do and I want to be happy while I'm doing it. So it's not all about, you know, who I work with or, you know, how prestigious the project is or whether I won an award or not. I just want to really enjoy doing the work still as well. So trying to still have that balance. That's what I see in five years, still having that balance, but still moving forward. I got you. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Okay. Brandingchicks.com is our website. You can see some of our work there. Also on Facebook, we're at Branding Chicks. And also on Twitter, we're at Branding Chicks. All right. Sounds good. Well, Nikita Pope, thank you again for coming on the show. I've wanted to have you on the show for a while since we first, you know, kind of linked up through AIGA's. Mm -hmm diversity and inclusion task force. And, you know, as I've gotten to know you and certainly as I've been able to see you work, I can definitely like the, the passion that you have for your work is, is palpable. Like, thank you. I don't think anyone that, that works with you or, or has worked with you cannot see that you're really passionate about what you do and that you really love it. And I really like what you'd said about kind of creativity as Mm playtime. That's something that I kind of have to remind myself of too. You know, we're really fortunate as, as designers to be in this space to do this when so many other people are working jobs that they hate. Right. You know, we're in this, this place where we get to play for a living and that's something that we really should kind of take advantage of and sort of hold on to even when it doesn't seem like that, even when it it seems like it's not (laughs) the best. So it's true. It's true. You remind me and I'll remind you. How about that? All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Again, thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Nikita M. Pope and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Nikita and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Their attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today, MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain names. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two. It really, really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for design podcasts. And just like with the two reviews that I read at the top of the show, I'll read your review on the show as well. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch. 
a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.